And when Jesus was talking to his disciples about leadership, they would, they would get into fights about who's going to be the greatest, and he would always point them to a child or to kind of redirect their attention and say that the greatest is going to be the one who serves the most. And so we actually make ourselves valuable in the workplace when we become willing to serve the people around us. And we're going to add a lot of value to the team. And if we just out-serve, if we just out-love, if we just say, you know, I, I'm going to be the chief servant. I'm going, to, I'm going to see myself in this role as leading like Jesus through serving. Um, he says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Welcome to the 9 to 5 podcast, conversations with Christians about lives of faith, integrity, and excellence at work. They are from Christians in Commerce, a ministry supporting and encouraging men and women to be Christ in the workplaces. We hope you enjoy this episode. This episode features a panel discussion from our Coworkers in Christ gathering on October 5th, 2018. The conversation was moderated by Luke Cahill of Christians in Commerce. The panelists, in the order that you will hear them, include Tammy Krings, owner and president of The Conversations That Matter, Paul Larson, consultant, coach, and connector for Giant Worldwide and ICG Advisors, and Roy Tinklenberg, founder of faithandworkmovement.org. What initiated this interest for each of you in the topic of integrating faith and work and just that as a focus? So for me, I've always felt like part of my work is my calling. And I know early in my career, I was really seeking it and searching for what exactly what that would be and what that would look like. And I've been very fortunate to love my work a majority of my career. And there was a moment when I was going through my coaching certification that it was very apparent, like, this isn't just a career choice. This is your calling. And when you asked the question this morning, it gave me the opportunity to think about this answer. Um, and I reflected back, um, as Steve said, I grew up on a farm in North Dakota. And I remember after Palm Sunday, grabbing extra palms, and we would go out and bless the fields. And our family it was a family thing, right? So at the time, we would all get in the pickup, and we'd be, the kids would be in the back of the pickup. Um, and we would go and bless the fields and have holy water and our palms. And I never really thought about that until this morning. Like, oh, that's what we did. We blessed our work, right? And we always, of course, prayed over our, our um, farm. But we blessed, we blessed the work, and we really planted the, the desire in our fields, literally. Um, and I think that has, a, has been then a powerful weave through my life. And then I went to a private Catholic college, and 10 o'clock on Wednesdays was a no-class hour. It was where we had mass. And I, that just was my grounding throughout my entire college career, is to know that faith and the Lord is always part of what you're doing. And so I just feel like I've been very fortunate to have that early on in my life and figured out how to carry that out throughout what I do. Great. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, I had a long and very checkered career. Um, <clears throat> I, was, I graduated degrees in economics and theology and then went to uh, the capital markets. I was a portfolio manager for 25 years. But about 10 years in, I, I kind of got tired of waiting for the church to, to start defining a theology. 
of economics and vocation and capital. I found that there used to be one, but we've dismissed it, basically. Basically, all I saw the church saying is don't run up your credit cards and give some money to church. And I wanted to figure out there must be more to it than that. And so I started orienting my, my practice uh, really toward faith-based organizations that wanted to, at least at minimal, they wanted to avoid profiting from things they thought were harmful. And, um, uh, but that moved into something that was much more uh, deliberate. Uh, I started working in the developing world, um, uh, creating business solutions to poverty, diverting capital where it would bring economic, social, and spiritual um, uh, flourishing. And um, spent a lot of that time uh, back and forth to Africa. And I had a very, uh, a lot of anecdotal stories about that. But I found that we, we were able to move the poorest of the poor in the middle class by, by, by exporting and contextualizing business systems and, and, and production finance and so on. But the biggest obstacle was, was culture, a workplace culture. And when I say that to people, I said, it does, I don't, I'm not talking about 2,000 years of tribal culture. I'm talking about 70 years of aid culture where we have been subsidizing the worst of human inclinations. And uh, that's really struck home because of a couple of events and I realized that uh, I needed to start exporting and contextualizing tools that would kind of reweave a, a shalom-like culture in the workplace because it, I, I'm convinced it's gonna take more than a generation before there's even a critical mass of people in these countries that could even be middle managers. They just can't think that way. And, they, and, uh, if you, and I think the, the church has, has got an opportunity to really um, drive that. But it's not gonna start till we start, yep. unfortunately. Amen. So I think seeds for uh, my interest in, in work and, and faith were planted early, uh, but I don't think that they were really very <coughs> well developed until maybe just the last four years. Um, some of the seeds were a book that I read in college. It was just a required reading for one of my classes um, called Working by Studs Terkel. And it's a bunch of interviews where he interviews a bunch of people who work. And it's really kind of a depressing book as you hear people's stories of work and how some people loved their work, but a lot of people really hated their work. And, and all of this was coming out. And, and I was part of a church that believed that um, work was not, uh, just a career, but it was a calling, and that our vocation coming from that Latin word vocare, which means to, to call, that it was a calling, and that it was a calling that applied to all people, not just to priests or pastors or nuns, but it, it was a calling that God called to all people. But I think I had a very skewed version of that. I still had a view that if you're really called, you're a missionary, you're mm -hmm. Mother Teresa. And if you're something like a businessman, you're down here on the scale somewhere, you know, but that um, I'm starting to see, you know, God can call a businessman and, and use that businessman to do amazing and wonderful things. And so I'm still growing in this area. And then as far as like connecting in the workplaces in the Silicon Valley, when I was um, called to plant a church, we asked, what do we need to do as a church in Mountain View? Mountain View happens to be the home of Google. Um, what do we need to, to do in this town that other churches in this town aren't doing? And what we found was there's one little corner of the town that there didn't have a church, didn't have an operating school, didn't have a grocery store. So we should go there and kind of create a church for a part of the community that didn't have a church. 
And then this part of the community, we call it the Mountain View Triangle because there's a freeway triangle there. And half of it is apartments and condos and a few single family homes. And the other half is all businesses. And we said, if this is gonna be our parish, then we wanna reach the bedroom community, the people that live there. And we also wanna reach the business community, the people that work here. And so we started with one prayer group um, and that has then multiplied to multiple prayer groups and multiple companies. Bring your Christian coworkers together using our free resources. Go to workingforourfather.com and download a free copy of the three keys to transformative small groups. You'll find it on our challenge group page. Our newsletter and workday reflections will help launch meaningful conversations about lives of faith, integrity, and excellence. So jumping off, Paul, I want to kind of start with something you were talking about, which is this, the idea we're all influencers, we're all leaders, um, which is both exciting, but also it's kind of, it, it, it raises the stakes, so to speak, and you kind of talked about that. But what are some examples of, or ideas for how do we, how do we equip ourselves knowing that we're influencers and kind of influencing in the right ways? Well, um, I reflected a little bit on the follow-up slides there. You know, knowing what it's like on the other side of you and that self-awareness, we're finding that, that that's where it really needs to start. We have to understand uh, ourselves and, and to always be asking that and understanding our tendencies. Our tendencies are really invisible to us. We're very unconscious of those, but they lead to so many consequences that we're not aware of. And so to understand that you are influencing is a, is a wake-up call, okay? So what does that mean? What am I reflecting? What am I emanating? And, and uh, that's, where we, that's where all of our work, pretty much all of our work starts. And how do we learn our tendencies? Hmm. Well, uh, there's, there's different kinds of personality profiles you can do. You can find uh, those who can counsel and consult with you. You can ask those people that are around you. One thing, uh, one of the other things I put up on the wall was that support challenge matrix about the different kinds of leadership. What we do sometimes is all those circles of influence, we'll ask our people to go find people in every one of those circles, you know, your family, your community, your team, and plot me, plot me on this chart. And that's, that's a really good conversation starter. Um, we'll have people saying, well, I'm gonna have my kids decide whether I'm a dominator or a protector or a abdicator or a, uh, and, and, and many times people will think, well, my kids are gonna think I'm a dominator and their kids will mark abdicator. And so then you ask them again because they must not have understood the question. <laughs> you describe it again and then now do it. Uh, but no, it's really, it, it's, it, it really starts, it's, it's part of sanctification. If we're not constantly learning about more things about ourselves that we need, that we need to be sanctified and redeemed from, that, that's just part of working your salvation out of fear and trembling, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tammy Roy, what, what's your take on just this idea of influencer and, and kind of how do we equip ourselves to kind of, and you talked about this a little bit for sure, Tammy, in terms of kind of the morning ritual. Yeah. Um, any other takes? Yeah, one of the things we talk a lot about in coaching is what part of this do I own? And you don't have to have a title. You don't have to be assigned to have influence. And sometimes being on the sidelines is actually one of the greatest places where you can influence and just be available to people, not get caught up in the end result, 
that we're driving for. So that's one of the questions that we ask a lot is what part of this do you own and what part do I own and really start challenging ourselves around that. I would totally agree with Paul on self-awareness. That's a big piece of what we do to really help people illuminate. The bigger question is how are people really experiencing me? And if we can't get a clear picture of how people are experiencing me and what our influence really is versus what we think it is, then we have a hard time really helping them gain that momentum around that. Um, there's another phrase we use a lot, which is called, you get what you demonstrate, tolerate, and celebrate. You get what you demonstrate, tolerate, and celebrate. And so am I demonstrating how to influence people and bring, really bring people along, or am I telling people what to do? Right? There's this concept of the telling versus the asking. And so I think we can all be of influence if we get clear about how we can best influence and map that to our audience and also to our core. I think like just, I forget who had talked about it earlier, but just the idea of the under, seeing the dignity of the human person mm -hmm. in front of you and kind of what, not knowing necessarily their story or kind of what's all going on before they walked in today. But if you start there, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would imagine it's easier to channel some of those good feelings and the, the good behavior. Yeah, I actually just had this happen just this week with a client where they were really struggling with a coworker and having all kinds of descriptors for what was going on with this coworker and what was wrong. And I just said, what else do you think is happening for him? And I said, what's going on at home? And right away we identified there were struggles in his marriage and struggles with the kids. And I said, does this, it sounds as if there's a sense of desiring control and overpowering and seeking control and seeking to have some sense of meaning and he's seeking it so badly at work. And so I think that's part of it is appreciating the whole person and having an integrated life versus this, we can park it. No one will ever, no one ever see my problems when I show up at work, so I just put those in the car. When I park the car, I park my problems. But really, being able to be of influence just by holding space for that person to express, okay, this is what's happening and showing up sideways at work. Yeah. So, Tammy, you talked a lot about kind of intentionality and kind of the morning ritual and, and kind of starting your day in a certain way. And then, Roy, you were talking about kind of the understanding one's own significance. I'm curious, kind of, how do you weave those together? Kind of, what does one help the other, or, or kind of, what's your take on, on that? I think if we um, carry all these ins insecurities of like, do I belong into the workplace? We actually become less effective. Um, and this is true in sports. You know, they always talk about if you're pressing too hard, you, you miss the free throws, you miss, you know, you strike out, all these kinds of things because you're just trying too hard and you're, you're pressing too hard. And so I think um, getting rooted and finding your security and who you are in Christ enables you to actually become a better worker. And you can bring a better self to work when you're doing that. And, but it's not to be naive. It's not to be um, just like not get good feedback from other people or be part of that, that feedback loop and learn about how we can improve. Or even if it is true that we don't fit that particular role, that won't kill us anymore because our identity is not in our role but now we can actually find another place where we fit better and our, we're designed to um, function better. And, and so I think that, that all of that is important to just kind of getting 
centered and rooted first in order to be a person who can have uh, a platform to lead from and a, a, a place of influence. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of mirrors that we help hold people hold up to themselves. That know yourself to lead yourself is one of them. Another one is is a, is an image of a, of a of a wall being broken down. We call that a wall of self preservation. Uh, anybody remember the Peter Principle? Remember hearing about that? You got to be pretty old. Okay, it was a book in the '70s, and it talked about skilled people tend to rise to their level of incompetence. So you're really good and enjoying all this, and then you get voted to your level of incompetence, and now you get to do what you're frustrated by for the rest of your life. Because no one wants a demotion. But it's really easy to build a wall of self-preservation around you because you're trying to hide. You don't want anybody to find out you're not competent. You don't want anybody poaching that job. But to figure out this self-preservation, what am I trying to hide and who am I trying to impress? And that can be, you get a lot of freedom when you know who you are in Christ. And that's not an accident that you're here. So th that's an important, that's been helpful for us. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of the Working for Our Father video where, you know, are you, if you're a person who lives to work and your identity is tied to your title or your job or your salary or whatever it is, you know, it's great until you get fired or you, your salary gets cut or whatever it is. And then you quickly realize, you know, like what is what is what is my value? What is my true true worth? And what I, what was I trusting? And I think if I could build upon that, we have to do the work. Mm -hmm. It's not easy, right? To commit to doing the work, to really taking time to know what is my true calling and what is uniquely mine to do is really scary. And unless we have a guide to help us or we ask people to help us or we guide people, we just it's easy to coast. And then you live a life that's not meaningful, then you wonder what was, that wor what was worth it, right? How, how did I actually um, add value? So I think we have to do the work. And that's probably the scariest part. <laughs> well, and then, so at CIC, we, we talk about not wanting to outrun God's headlights. So there are times I feel like of life of there's amb ambiguity, you know, so maybe you're trying to be reflective, you're trying to do all the right things, you're open to what you, but then the path forward is clear or you, you think you're, you're cruising, you've kind of gone through the steps, you've looked in all the mirrors you can think of, you know, it's like, so at that, at, at that point, that's where I feel like it can get really hard to understand what is God doing here and for me there you know it's like it's nice to know believe in a higher power that that in theory you can trust but I guess are there any other practical tips for the people who are trying to go through all the steps and still not you know like the the path either diverts you know in front of them or they're just not kind of like finding their place maybe that's not a question that's answered I think we can take a stab at it. I think we can um, focus on what we've already been taught and on the, the principles that Scripture teaches us and on the, the way that Jesus modeled leadership. Um, and when Jesus was talking to his disciples about leadership, they would, they would get into fights about who's going to be the greatest, and he would always point them to a child or to kind of redirect their attention and say that the greatest is going to be the one who serves the most. And so we actually make ourselves 
valuable in the workplace when we become willing to serve the people around us. Mm -hmm. And we're going to add a lot of value to the team. And if we just outserve, if we just outlove, if we just say, you know, I, I'm going to be the chief servant. I'm going to, I'm going to see myself in this role as leading like Jesus through serving. Um, he says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And if we were just to say, is, I'm going to be humble and I'm going to serve. If we would be willing to be like John the Baptist and say, he must increase and I must decrease. How can you do that? John, but scriptures tell us that John did that with joy, right? Most of us, we don't do that because we have this self-preservation thing going on, you know? And if John was in self-preservation mode when his disciples came to him and said, hey, G Jesus and his guys are baptizing people and everybody's going over there, it would have destroyed him. But he knew his role, he knew his purpose, he knew that he was there to serve, and he served that purpose well, and he could do so joyfully. And so I think that being able to follow those principles that were taught, and that's going to help us find our way, our niche, our place, and add value to our teams. Thanks for listening to this podcast. You'll want to check out our website at workingforourfather.com. It's constantly being updated with new content to support you and others in living your faith at work.